You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message by Ray Hollenbach. This is Ray Hollenbach from Campbellsville, Kentucky. And uh, he's one of our favorites, and he's going to share with us this morning. So why don't we stand up and pray for Ray? That won't hurt. Please, please. Thank you, Jesus, for rain. We just, we lay hands on him in your name. We ask that um, for clarity, for insight, Lord, for an impartation from your heart. Thank you for Ray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Robin. And thank you guys. You stood up to pray. And so your prayers were that much closer to the Almighty. And, and I'm grateful. Hi, guys. How are you? I'm uh, so happy to be back here. I, am, I was here in January, and, uh, and, I, and I met a guy in the lobby, and he said, you're back? And I went, yeah, if they keep inviting me back, I'm going to start parking in the staff parking spaces because uh, it just feels so natural. So, um, uh, Robin, thank you for uh, both the invitation Thank you for the prayers. Thank you for who you are. Um, what a blessed group you are to have somebody like Robin McMillan at the helm. But he's not at the helm all by himself. There are many hands that help turn the wheel of this particular ship. And um, Robin, a couple of weeks ago, I was reading a poem by Robert Frost, and it said that um, when I was young, my teachers were the old. And now that I'm old, my teachers are the young. Um, and, uh, and I want you all to know what a blessing it is to have both in one package decades of pastoral experience and yet an ear and a willingness to learn from the young. And I don't get out a lot, um, but when I do get out, I can just tell you that's rare. And so blessings on the fact that you have decades. He's a deep well, but he doesn't rely on just his deep well. He has an ear towards what people in their 40s and 30s and 20s are saying as well. So, uh, And I, when I read that with Robert Frost, I literally pulled out my phone and said, tell Robin. And then I thought I'll show off and I'll tell from up front with the, with the microphone. Um, and for the rest of you all... Um, I, I had a really profound experience about two weeks ago. This has absolutely nothing to do with the message. Um, but I, I've gone back and forth with Jesus all week on how or whether to share it. Uh, but two weeks ago, I spent a weekend with a group of people who were my very first Christian community. Uh, so we're talking 40 plus years ago, like 74 through 77. Um, so when, when I came back to a very, very informal reunion just at a guy's uh, house on a river, um, I sat uh, among these people that had come back, and we had gone our separate ways uh, after our three or three and a half years together. And, you know, they were, they were all 60-plus people, but they had such testimonies. There were people there that had lost children to, to death as early as 21 days or as early as six years old. There, there were people who had adopted other children who had lost their parents. 
There were, there were people who had lost spouses and there were people who had remarried and had found new life and new hope. And, and our community back then was about 30 or 35 people, about 25 of us made it back together. And the stories of Jesus's faithfulness were amazing. So um, would you let me just attempt in a clumsy way to encourage you that Jesus is really faithful over the decades. You know, if if you're 40, Jesus is going to be faithful in your 50s and in your 60s and in your 70s. If you're 20, he's faithful to you now, and he's going to be faithful in your 30s and your 40s. And um, uh, there will come a grand reunion for all of us. And that grand reunion, uh, we'll be able to share our losses and also be able to share our great joys. And um, uh, if, uh, if I wanted to, I could get all weepy and sentimental and, and just share out of that one weekend. Uh, but I have an assignment, and it's an assignment I'm very excited about because as a community, you guys this summer are going through the Gospel of Mark, Right? And, uh, and I thought about that during the week because, uh, you know, I was cramming, you know, cause like what's in the gospel of Mark? I don't know. Um, so I'm cramming away. And then I thought how m- nice it must be for you guys in community. Uh, Charlotte is this burgeoning growing city. And, you know, you might live way to the north or way to the south. You might live in South Carolina. Who knows? Um, woohoo. Uh, and then I thought how beautiful it is that because as a community you're working through this gospel that, you know, you can know. And who's up next week for Mark 7? Okay, so you know that Andy is going to be speaking to you about Mark chapter 7. And, and just during the week to, to take a moment or two and open up the scriptures. Uh, and both the act of reading it in advance, as uh, be, the act of reading in advance and the act of praying for Andy is one way that we engage in community in a growing burgeoning city where we are sometimes separated by 30 or 45 minutes or even an hour to be able to know that, you know, I'm reading this passage and, and so is he and, and so is she and that, you know, we're doing it together. Uh, and, uh, and I love that, that you guys are doing that uh, as a church. So in the past couple of weeks, as I've been cramming away on Mark 6, um, I, I had this sense of, gee whiz, you know, I'm, I'm already participating in the life of this community. Uh, so thanks for that privilege. And um, so we're, we're going to look at Mark 6, and um, uh, I've been listening in on the podcast, and I know that you've also been using the Tim Keller book, uh, Something like the King and His Cross, or I don't know what it's called. It used to be called King's Cross, then they re-released it. Tim Keller book? Yes? Hello? <laughs> yeah. Jesus the King. Yeah. And uh, wouldn't you know it, the Tim Keller book that is the source for you know this, uh, this team preaching, uh, it doesn't say one word about Mark chapter 6. So thank you, Tim Keller. Uh, like I was left totally on my own. Uh, but that's okay, because I'm a child of the 60s and the 70s, so I'm kind of a rebel anyway. So I was like, who cares what Tim Keller thinks? No, no offense to a guy that has established a community in Manhattan. I mean, he's got props, right? So that's another way, by the way, to participate is to, is to engage in that. But, um, uh, uh, when, um, 
when you're going through a book like this, uh, you, and you're dealing with a whole chapter in a week, uh, you know, the smart thing to do would be to do like something what Robin did last week when he, when he talked about, you know, just two of the stories that were already in the chapter. He didn't, you know, like attempt to do the whole chapter. Uh, but foolishly today, we are going to attempt to do the entire chapter of Mark 6. Um, uh, so that's what I want to share with you. And there's a reason that I want to share that with you. Uh, Robin did this um, meditation out of uh, Proverbs just, you know, during the time uh, that we were doing the offering. And uh, it's it's a really good spiritual practice to just take like one or two verses and think about them and think about them and meditate on them. And don't be in a hurry. Like, just meditate on them. Um, that is one way to engage the Scripture, which is this great love gift that God has for us. But another way to engage the Scripture is to read like really large chunks, to read a big chunk at a time. Um, because my, I used to have this idea that inspiration was like, you know, the, the typical 1980s charismatic thing was like even the people writing the Bible were like, oh, well, I wonder what I'm writing. You know, can't wait to read this because right now I'm inspired and I got, well, no, they, they were men and, and, and back then the, the, the contributors to the scripture were, were men, not women. Um, but, uh, they, they were men who were moved in their heart by the work of Jesus and they engaged their mind and they applied themselves to a craft of crafting the word of God. So, so when you read like a whole chapter of the scriptures, uh, there, there might actually be some Holy Spirit inspired structure to the chapter. Now, um, you know, this whole business of chapters and verses that Johnny come lately. So the scriptures are at least 2000 years old for the New Testament. And in some cases, maybe 3500 or 4000 years old in the case of the Old Testament. Um, and they didn't have chapters and verses. Mark didn't s- sit down and say, Mark chapter one. Verse 1, and then he goes, oh, I'm exhausted. I'm burnt out. I just got to wait. No, he just, he wrote the gospel. And then about 800 years ago, uh, some guy said, wouldn't it be easier to move around in the book if we divided it into chapters? Uh, so first there were chapter divisions. And then about 500 years ago, somebody else said, well, those chapter things are, are nice, but wouldn't it even be nicer to break it into verses? So the idea of Mark 6 is an, it's an artificial um, separation of the Mark story. Uh, but in this particular case, whoever it was that did that 800 years ago really got it right because Mark 6 is this, um, is this very complete presentation that I think I would like to title, uh, Who is Jesus? Uh, when we get to Mark 6, what we're, what we're really being invited into, what we're being asked and what we're being challenged is to consider the question, who is Jesus? And um, now, careful, uh, because uh, uh, in one of my different day jobs is uh, they pay me to lecture to 18 and 19-year-olds. So this might be full-on lecture mode today. I'm going to do my best to avoid that. But having said that, uh, Chris, slide one, I've got like slides and illustrations and I'm ready to give you Mark 6. Jesus help you. (laughs) Not Jesus help me, Jesus help you. So he said, professorially putting on his glasses, this is Mark chapter 6. And as you can see, I do not have any kind of design skills whatsoever. But Mark Mark chapter 6 is roughly broken into five 
sections, and they're kind of like a stair step, uh, or if you, uh, uh, or negatively, it could be a well stepping down and then stepping back up. And and this was actually a thing back in the day. Both the people that wrote the scriptures, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Both the people that wrote the scriptures, but just as importantly, the people who would hear it read out loud. And did you know that the scripture originally was entering in through people's ears and not through their eyes? This solitary act of reading the scripture was originally a communal act of hearing one person read and the gathered community on a rooftop or a living room or a courtyard, they were hearing it. But this is like a thing. This was like, um, this was like, a structure that they knew, right? Fancy word, chiasm, that's what it is. It's stair-stepped, and uh, there are certain relationships. And Mark 6 can be broken uh, into this chiasm. And the, but the overall question that the Holy Spirit is urging Mark to invite us into is, well, really now, who, who is Jesus? And um, so that's, that's kind of what I want to give you today. Um, I have two objectives. Um, one is to maybe, by demonstration, share with you how to read big chunks of Scripture. Um, and then I have a second objective, but I'll tell you that one later um, uh, when, when I try to finish up. So, uh, so we got these five stair steps. Uh, three are red. That stands for don't do this. And two are green. That stands for, yeah, this is a better idea. And um, so we're going to go through all five of these. I'm going to do my best to be brief. And um, uh, here we go. So the, the first chunk, it's in red, don't do this, is the first six verses in Mark's uh, gospel in, in chapter 6. And it's where Jesus comes back to his hometown. Now, we, it doesn't actually say the word Nazareth, but we know it's Nazareth. It's his, it's his father town. It's his hometown. And um, he comes back with his disciples. So he's already been out. He's already been doing the stuff. He's already been ministering. And uh, Nazareth in the first century, 200 people, 300 tops. So small town. So help me out. How many of you guys are from a small town, like under 1,000? Okay, now you guys are already in the know because... You know, the, you know, the, the kid goes away and he's gone for, you know, two months or three months or six months. And then he comes back and he's got like 12 followers. And you go, huh? Well, who does he think he is? You know, isn't anybody in this town got followers? Right? And now Jesus is coming back to his hometown and he got followers. That's like really strange. Right? And it, and it says that he, he goes to the synagogue and, uh, in particular, I was, I, I stopped on, um, the verse that says that they were amazed at his wisdom. And yet they said, wait a minute, isn't this the carpenter? Didn't he go to like, you know, Mecklenburg Technical Institute? Uh, you know, isn't he like Mary's son? And by the way, that's like really significant. Because you almost always identified somebody by who the father was, but you know, we don't really know who his father was because, you know, I went to high school with Mary and back in the day, let me tell you, she was pregnant before they were engaged, you know. So when it says, isn't this guy the carpenter, they're, they're saying something about him. And do any of us want to be defined by what we do? Um, and then they say he's Mary's son and they're actually like dissing him. And yet it also says they were amazed by his wisdom. And th- that's kind of curious to me. Um, 
because they recognized his wisdom, but they still scoffed. And when, when we hear wisdom, we have an opportunity. And we can say, wow, thanks. That really moves me. And I'm going to be unpacking that for the next week. Or we can say, you're a high school sophomore. Shut up. Right? But we're responsible when we hear wisdom for what we're going to do with it. And they, and they scoffed because of what? Because of, well, stereotype. He's a carpenter. They, they scoffed because of gossip. Why? Because, well, we really don't know a whole lot about his parentage. And, and they, they, they scoffed because they were so darn familiar with Jesus. And how many of you know that familiarity can actually get in the way of recognizing who Jesus is? Now, Let's just diss all those people back in Nazareth 2,000 years ago. Not us, but our familiarity as churchgoers. That would never get in the way of knowing who is Jesus, or would it? See, that's part of the challenge. It's like, hey, you know, got born again in 1970, been going to church, um, you know, heard lots of, of cassette tapes, and after cassette tapes, I heard a lot of podcasts. And don't tell me about who Jesus is. I know who Jesus is. And part of the, the inspiration that's being held out to us is that we are, we are never at a greater risk for missing God's wisdom when we think, oh, been here, done that, bought the t-shirt. Heck, I helped make the t-shirt at the t-shirt factory. And that's part of what's going on. As Mark begins to give us this theme about who is Jesus, is people will dismiss God's word because of familiarity. Oh, I've heard that. Heck, I've preached on that. I taught a Sunday school or a women's Bible study about that. Um, or we can take that wisdom in and turn it over and turn it over and turn it over again. Um, so that's verses 1 through 6. And... Um, scoffing at wisdom, can I just say this? I'll go, uh, I'm going to make one of those blanket statements. It's a bad idea. It's far better to just go, huh, I guess I have to think about that one. I mean, at least that, you're preserving it and carrying it, and then you're waiting at the drive through at Starbucks, and you go, oh, oh my God, that's what that meant. You know, but if you scoff at it, you've, you've kicked it out of the car before you get to, to Starbucks. Um, so, so there's the first one. And Chris, let's just, because I'm such a graphic artist, let's go to the second. So that, uh, so there's hometown, right? And, uh, each one of these, uh, as a mnemonic device is to try to give you something to hang on to. And so stereotypes, gossip, familiarity are enemies of knowing who is Jesus, right? So, uh, to, to start off on the downer, and then maybe move up to the to the more uh, enlightening things. Let's just go to only the red, and uh, so then we're going to look at what not to do, and then we'll we'll close with what to do. 
And uh, so there's a section where Jesus sends out his disciples. I'll get back to that. But then now in uh, these verses 14 through 29, um, Mark does what he does so often, which is he tells a story in the middle of telling us a story. So Robin was talking about the the, the uh, Jairus, the uh, synagogue leader. Please come and heal my daughter. Here we go. We're going to go get the daughter healed. And wait, then he's going to stop and he's going to tell us another story. And that's the woman that presses through the crowd, touches the hem of his garment, right? Uh, that, that's classic Mark stuff, which is, to, it's, 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 it's not a Big Mac. As one of my friends at the university says, it's a Big Mark. Um, he, he puts something right in the middle of it. Now, in Mark chapter 5, that's actually the way it happened chronologically, but he did that for a reason still about, you know, hey, maybe we should be open to interruptions. Um, so here is the big interruption, and it, and it's, uh, these, these verses 14 through 29, uh, and you know this because you've been reading along, and that is that Jesus commissions these disciples, that's in the green part, we'll come back to you. And now the 12 that were following him are going out and doing the stuff Jesus did, which is kind of amazing. <coughs> Excuse me, kind of amazing, because we're only in Mark 6, you know, uh, math major, we're roughly a third of the way through the narrative, and Jesus is already kicking these guys out to do the stuff. So, um, all of a sudden, what he did is being multiplied times 12, and meanwhile, starting there in verse 14, back in Jerusalem, or in the, at least in the Galilee region, it's not Jerusalem, it's in Galilee, um, they're starting to hear about all this stuff being done in the name of Jesus. And there's a Herod, Herod Antipas. Now, did you ever wonder, because there's a Herod who tries to kill baby Jesus, and then there's this Herod, and then there's another Herod that uh, that Paul talks to, you think, man, this guy must have been like 108 years old, right? Well, it turns out there's a dynasty, okay? So this is the son of the guy who's trying, who tried to kill Jesus. And um, Mark stops in the middle of telling us about Jesus times 12, multiplying himself, Mark stops and tells us the story that meanwhile there's a big banquet for Herod's birthday and one of the subjects that is the table conversation at dinner is, well, who is this Jesus? Because, you know, I heard that it, you know, something here happened in Capernaum and somebody else is saying, well, I heard something happened in Gennesaret and I heard, you know, lepers were getting healed and I heard he could speak and demons would leave. And, you know, they're like all the hoity-toity people that are at the big guy's birthday celebration and they're all offering opinions about who this Jesus is. And Herod, earlier, had had John the Baptist put into prison because he didn't like that John the Baptist was getting all up in his business about marrying his sister-in-law. Ew, yeah, but yeah, that's what was going on, right? And so I think that, in my opinion, the reason that this is this is like the red bar right in the middle is that here's another way not to discover who Jesus is, and that is to appropriate what we hear about Jesus and filter it through our own guilt. Because Herod is feeling guilty. He's, he's like a really conflicted dude. He, he has John the Baptist arrested, but then goes on down into the dungeon and says, okay, preach to me. But then when he comes back upstairs, his wife says, you've been listening to that John the Baptist again, and he's been getting on us about the fact that we're married. She probably didn't sound like that, but you know what I mean, 
right? So he's conflicted. He's doing what he's supposed to do as the king. And then at the same time, uh, and, and in the text it actually says he's, he's attracted by the sweetness of John the Baptist's words. He's a really conflicted guy. And meanwhile, the dinner conversation at his birthday is, who is Jesus? What's going on throughout Galilee? And here's how Herod processes. Remember, we're in red. Don't do this. Here's how Herod processes who Jesus is. He processes who Jesus is through many voices of other people. Some said this, some said this, and some said this. You know, if you want to find out who Jesus is, you might want to go to Jesus. If you want to find out who Jesus is, don't be asking just anybody on the street. You, he's actually alive. You know, we can get to know him. But Herod begins to process through many voices. He begins to process out of his own curiosity, like what's going on with John the Baptist. And most importantly, he's processing who is Jesus out of his own sense of guilt. Now, no show of hands, please. But how many of us have tried to process who Jesus is out of our sense of guilt? I didn't do right to him. I didn't do right to her. I wasn't there when my mom needed me. I, how many of us have begun and maybe even established the pattern of relating to Jesus out of our own sense of guilt? And like, well, then this is the way that I won't feel guilty is I'll serve God, you know, G-A-W-D. I'll, I'll do something that's good. And so that's why this is in red is that I believe that the entire chapter is asking who is Jesus. And here we've got a guy, he's rich, he's powerful, he's a part of the establishment, he can do anything he wants, heck, he can have people thrown in prison But when the question comes up of what's going on in Galilee and why are we hearing all of these stories, when he processes who is Jesus, he processes out of guilt. So again, he said, looking for application, when when we read about that, we can say, well, that was a bad move by a dude 2,000 years ago. Or we can say, what about me? How is it in my life that the things that I feel the guiltiest about, how are they influencing how I relate to Jesus? I mean, who is stalking me? Who's stalking me? Guilt and regret or goodness and mercy? When you're looking over your shoulder, who are you seeing? Regret, guilt, sadness, or are you seeing goodness and mercy and kindness? Who's dogging your trail? Believe me, it impacts how we look at Jesus. And not just once, but through the decades. Through the decades. Okay? So are we doing okay? I, I only had one cup of coffee, and normally I'm up in Letterman category, like 12, 13 cups. I'm usually a lot more jazzed. Uh, so if I fall asleep during the message, you guys just go on home, and, and I'll wake up later. Okay? All right, let's look at the third uh, red bar, which is the verses 45 through 52. And we can say, oh, those stupid people from Nazareth. Or we can say, oh, 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 that stupid Herod. But now what we've got is this section where uh, Jesus' disciples, after like a long day of ministry, are out on the Sea of Galilee. Okay, newsflash, it's not a sea, it's a lake. It's not 
salt water. It's fresh water. It's, it's a pretty big lake. Andy, what was the name of that lake I drove past coming? Yeah, it's bigger than that, but it's a lake, right? And so they're out there and it's kind of noted for the fact that storms can come up and things can go bad. And, um, it's the middle of the night. They're like exhausted, but you know, some of the crew, at least four out of the 12, 12 divided, at least one third of the guys are fishermen. So they know what they're doing. And yet they're working hard at the oars. And then they see Jesus come walking across the water. Now, I don't care if you're on team Jesus. That's still something you don't see every day. And their response, their response is, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. Ah! Or something like that. I'm a frustrated thespian, so I'm just trying to work that out in front of you guys. Right? So they start freaking out about the fact that it's a ghost. And this is a bad way to process the question, who is Jesus? If we process who is Jesus out of our own superstitions or out of our fear, we're going to get Jesus wrong. You understand that all three of the red bars are really about us, our familiarity, our sense of guilt, or our own fears or our own superstitions. Well, thank goodness it's the 21st century, and certainly Christians, certainly evangelical Christians, certainly evangelical Christians who live in the Southeast, we don't have any superstitions at all. Except watch what you say, because there's death and life in the power of the tongue. And, you know, it's like, well, you know, your kid, my kid, my oldest one, driving down to the beach this week, so better be sure to pray Psalm 91 over them. Now, if I've just slapped somebody in the face, let me say that death and life is in the power of the tongue, and that as a part of our lifestyle, what God is after is growing the kind of people who naturally say the things that agree with the Scripture and with the formation that he's after. And Psalm 91 is a, a psalm of protection. Heck, Robin and I spent some time on the phone, about a half an hour, uh, and, and he was ministering to me out of Psalm 91. But can I also say that there are superstitious ways to apprehend the Scripture? So like, what if my son and his wife and my two dear adorable grandchildren, the finest grandchildren in all the land, if they're traveling down to Perdido Key in Florida and I pray Psalm 91 over them, there, they're covered. But wait, oops, what if I forgot to pray Psalm 91? Am I going to live in fear? Like, oh, I didn't pray Psalm 91, right? Or, you know, what if I say something that isn't death, or maybe it's death in the power of the tongue, and I say something really stupid. It's mean, it's critical, it's judgmental. Maybe it's, it's judgmental about my own self. And I go, oh, now the devil's going to get me. Now, you understand... There's a devil. He is real, and he comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But Christian superstition operates in the realm that somehow these words, Psalm 91 or death and life, that somehow these words operate outside of who we are. Every time that we think that the words of Scripture operate like an incantation. Anybody here watch uh, the TV show Supernatural? Yeah, yeah. Carry on, my wayward son. Shout out to my supernatural friends, right? 
but and, and I like it. It's it's kind of fun entertainment. But what it does is it says that the words are magic. The words exist outside of ourselves, and essentially that's the essence of superstition and witchcraft. Is when the words of God exist outside of ourselves, and we appropriate them to try to control our environment. Does that make sense? Okay. So superstition is a really bad way to know Jesus. And then fear. Oh my God, he's a ghost, right? Now, can I tell you that, and maybe it's, I'm getting addled at 62. Uh, you know, the jury's not in for me on about ghosts. Jesus is resurrected and many ghosts appear in Jerusalem that day. I go, well, that can't be in the Bible, except it is, right? But here's what we do know is that these guys are totally freaked out. And so red bar, that means don't do it. Do not relate to Jesus out of your own superstitions, religious or otherwise, and do not relate to Jesus out of fear because, well, I believe these are some of the words God has given us. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and sanity, right? So those would be the the good ways. So all you have to do is take the red bars and say, like, just don't do this. This is the George Costanza school of discipleship. Don't do these things, right? That's how, that's how he ended up running the Yankees. He's just going to do the opposite of whatever he thought. So if you're, if you're prone to guilt or fear or superstition or gossip or stereotypes, and, you know, I know, of course, you aren't, but where I go to church, oh, let me tell you about those guys. Um, no offense, folks back home. <laughs> uh, don't do those things, all right? So, but then I know what you're asking. It's right there. It's, what about the green bars? So let's go on, changing the slide to the grid. There they are. Uh, it's the sending and the feeding of the 5,000. So now, these are good ways to relate to Jesus because I really believe, and it's, it's an interpretive grid, I believe Mark 6 is all about the question, who is Jesus? And so now we're backing up, and when we're looking now at the uh, verses 7 through 13, that's where Jesus sends out the 12, and he's multiplying himself. And like I've already said, he's doing it remarkably early. These guys do not have their act all together, right? But he is sending them out, and, you know, it's no big deal. Just heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, proclaim the kingdom, check with you later. No prob, right? But that's actually what he's done. And he gives them some instructions. Maybe they're specific. You know, don't even carry a walking stick and, you know, don't carry two wallets. In fact, don't even carry a wallet. And when you stay somewhere, depend on the kindness of strangers or Tennessee um, Williams. Tennessee Williams, sorry. Um, you know, he's, he's giving them some specific instructions. But as I read Mark 6... I see that he's coming right off of they don't know who he is in Nazareth. And now he's saying to his disciples, if you really want to discover what I'm all about, join with me in the Father's work. These people are not qualified. They do not have a degree from a seminary. Heck, many of them are just working class people. And yet... If you want to find out who Jesus is, why don't you join Jesus in his mission and do the things that Jesus himself came to do and also came to multiply himself into the lives of other people? Do they do it perfectly? No. 
Do they, do they have problems? Yes. And yet at the same time, they must have some degree of success because the dinner guests at Herod's place are talking about what in the heck is going on in Galilee. And where was he? Was he at Gennesaret or was he at Capernaum or was he at somewhere else? He's everywhere. Well, that's because he's, you know, well, he's smart. He's, Jesus is smart. He's multiplying himself. And what we might miss is that Doing the work that Jesus gives us to do is a bona fide way that we can discover more of who he is. So can I, can I meddle just long enough to say, hey, if you've been following Jesus for any length of time, six months, why don't you try doing some of the stuff he did? Why don't you try joining in on the mission? You won't do it perfectly. You won't get it right. Let's just settle it. No, you're not qualified. But it's a crazy way to run a railroad. He sent out unqualified people who didn't understand what was going on, who later live in red bar land, but now they're in green bar land. Go out and do what Jesus said to do, and we together will discover more of who Jesus is. If you get it wrong, but you discover more of who Jesus is, then you just took a step forward. Now that's tweetable. If you get it wrong, but you do it, you know, you're trying to do what Jesus said, you've still taken a step forward in understanding who he is. You go, oh, well, I used the Jesus name formula and that girl didn't get healed. And then Jesus says, well, it's because it's not about a formula. It's about acting in the name and in the authority, and in the imitation, and in the transformation of who Jesus is, right? It's not the magic words. So every single one of us, 26, 46, 66, we can discover more of who Jesus is by joining him in his mission. Not reading about his mission, not Ray, preaching about his mission, but by joining him in his mission. That's part of what the sending out of the 12 is all about. And we know it's successful because they're talking about it at the dinner party. Uh, and then we jump over to the green bar on the other side. This is the, the Big Mark sandwich, right? And they get back. They're exhausted. And Jesus says, you guys have really been working hard. Good for you. God bless you. You know what? Let's take a break. And the problem is, is that word's getting out that... Here are some people who will pray for you if you are sick. Here are some people who will not shun you if you have leprosy. Here are some people who are not afraid of death itself. Maybe they weren't successful, but they cared about me so much they tried to raise my son or my daughter to life. By the way, do you know that's part of the the job? Right? It's like, well, no. And I've, I've done this for years. It's like, look, when I die... I don't want you to call the funeral home. I want you to stand over my body and at least say, is this final? Right? I'm not saying that everybody has to be able to raise the dead, but in the 21st century materialistic mindset, we just think death is death. Newsflash, death isn't death. Jesus defeated death. This is where I could get positively charismatic and say that death has lost its sting, wears its victory, it ain't around, and we get a we get a foretaste of it right now. Right? So, like, you know, 
how weird could this be? Don't just put your hands on the, on the unclean lepers. Don't just pray for the sick. But there are times where maybe we're called to pray for the resurrection of the dead. The results are up to him. The gossip is up to everybody else. And believe me, in my hometown, there's some gossip about that. Okay? So they come back. But you know what has worked? They've, now they've drawn a crowd so much that it says they get to where they're going. Jesus says, nice job. Let's take a break. People, re- and it, this, this is what the scripture says. They recognize Jesus. They don't recognize the 12 guys who are following Jesus. The scripture says they recognize Jesus. And so the crowd comes. And it's a big crowd. And how beautiful is this? He recognizes that they, this crowd, 5,000 at least, that they are like sheep without a shepherd. Who is Jesus? He's the good shepherd. He's the one who realizes when people have lost their moorings, have lost their connection to community, when people are vulnerable to being attacked, because a sheep without a shepherd is vulnerable to being attacked. And he doesn't just recognize and go, well, you see them? Sheep without a shepherd. Bad idea. No, it says, so he begins to teach them. So not only does he teach them, but at the end of the day of teaching, then he says, guess what, guys? It's time to feed them. And many of us, because familiarity is not a bad thing, many of us know the story, right? Five loaves, two fish, 5,000 people, big meal, 12 baskets left over, right? So what's a good way to imitate Jesus? And that is to care for the people who don't have care. He recognizes that they are like sheep without a shepherd. So now think about, let's see how we can do this. Think about your family circle. So we got the immediate family. We got the extended family. Now think about your neighbors or your community. And I, and I don't mean like, you know, the social media community. I mean like the people who live this side, the people who live this side, or people who live this side, or the people who live this side, right? And think about who do I know that is like a sheep without a shepherd? Because remember, this all starts with doing the stuff Jesus did. Can I show care for them? Can I teach them? But no, not only just, well, you need to be born again. But can I also provide care for them by feeding them? This is the way to know Jesus, is to take on the heart of the shepherd. Uh, it's, it's not for nothing that Mark throws in what Jesus is thinking when he looks out over 5,000 people. He doesn't say, at last, I can get a good offering. He doesn't say, at last, I can start a really killer podcast. He says, look at these people. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And he feels the weight of responsibility for people who are in need. I mean, I'm not a Christian. He's a Christian. I'm not a Christian. Because I look at people and I go, man, are they screwed up? Right? But if I want to know more about who Jesus is, then I need to be able to recognize who are sheep without a shepherd. They could be in your place of employment. They could be in the mother's playgroup with children. They, they could be your literal physical neighbors. But we are called upon, and believe me, it's in the text. 
we are called upon to recognize sheep without a shepherd. Okay? And that's a great way to get to know him. So he's looking at his notes here to make sure he doesn't. All right, so blue bar number two, participate in his work. He welcomes us to his work, and he puts us to work earlier than we would ever expect. You see, blue bar or green bar number two, we don't understand Jesus by study. We understand Jesus by standing under his leadership. Okay? Okay? Green bar number four, Jesus the good shepherd, compassion for sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is the teacher of life and the feeder of people. Now, so there, we've done all five of the bars, but wait, there's more. Let's do the next slide. What if we compared the two kings, because the Tim Keller book is about the king, right? What if we compared the two kings in these stories? There's a king, Herod, Herod Antipas, and there's King Jesus, the king of kings, the shepherd king the gentle king. And so, uh, and if you'll forgive me, but for brevity, and because I don't want to screw it up, I actually just wrote down some comparisons. But this is a game you can play at home. I'm just going to like try to seed the, you know, the clouds and then you guys can make it rain. Okay? Herod's throwing a birthday party. Jesus is feeding 5,000 people. So, number one, Herod celebrates his own birthday. Jesus serves other people. There's a difference in those two kings. Herod invites all of the leading citizens of Galilee to be his guests. Jesus welcomes people who are like sheep without a shepherd. Book of Jonah, people who are so lost they don't know their right from their left. Right? Okay. Herod's party is exclusive. How exclusive is Herod's party? Well, just try to crash the king's birthday party and see how far you get. It's a very exclusive party. Jesus' party doesn't have boundaries or borders. It's in the wilderness, and the crowd could have been 4,000. Well, it was one time, 4,000. crowd could be 5,000. It was another time. And if you take John seriously, that not all the books in the world could hold everything of the Jesus has done, there may have been other miraculous feedings of 1,000 or 6,000. Herod's party is exclusive for the in people. Only people with 10,000 Instagram followers or more may come. Jesus, people can come who don't know what Instagram is. I just learned this. If you want to take a selfie, you you should get a little elevation. Did you know that? I mean, I don't think it's going to help me look any better. But apparently there's like videos about how to take really good selfies. You know, now you got to have some good material to start with, but, right? So Herod welcomes the movers and the shakers. Jesus welcomes the people who are sheep without shepherds. Um, his party is open. Um, Herod provides for his party out of his own resources. He's rich, he's got the money, and so what does he do? He pays for the finest catering out there. But you understand there's a limit to operating out of your own resources, even if you're the king. Jesus' dinner party uses the provision of heaven He takes, and and, and our Catholic brothers and sisters really help us here. He takes the bread. He blesses the bread. He breaks the bread. 
and he distributes the bread. Now, that's right out of Henry Nouwen. I mean, we have so much to learn from our liturgical brothers and sisters. The resources of heaven provide for the party that Jesus is throwing. Whereas King Herod's party is utterly dependent upon his own resources. And sooner or later, whether you got $67 in your wallet or whether you got $67 million in the bank, you can go through your own resources. In the kingdom of God, the resources of heaven are inexhaustible when we are about the Father's business. So that's just a contrast. They're both kings. They're both people in authority. But one kingdom stands 21 centuries later, and the other kingdom is a historical footnote. Well, actually, did you know there were four Herods? You know, they were a dynasty. But the dynasty's been gone since 135 A.D., Who cares about Herod? Well, the answer is Jesus cares about him. That's his, that'll be the Lord's work. Okay? So that's another way to do that. Now, uh, you could try that at home. You can just look at the, at Herod's banquet and Jesus' banquet. I'll bet you, you could find more contrasts between the King of Kings and the King of Galilee. Right? Or you could, you could look at all the greens together and, or the, both the greens together and say, these are good ways to follow Jesus. Or you could look at the reds together and say, let's not do these things when it comes to knowing Jesus. You with me? Okay. So, we did Mark chapter 6. I don't think I actually read a verse out loud, but you understand it's all in there. Right? It's all in there. But, I can rest confidently knowing that every one of you, in preparation for your community life together, were reading Mark chapter 6 this week and praying for me. Thank you very much. And that next week, you will be reading, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you will be reading Mark chapter 7 and praying for Andy. Would that be okay with you if they pray for you all week? Yeah. Can I just tell you, he needs it? Oh, my goodness. All right. I'm trying to go quick here. I told you at the very beginning that I had a second objective. And the really astute among you will know that I've left out just the very last verses of Mark chapter 6. Let's read those. So after the five steps of the chiasm, starting in verse 53, it says, After they crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret, which is, by the way, where the twelve had been. They brought the boat to shore and they climbed out and people recognized Jesus at once. That's the second time in the chapter that it says they've recognized Jesus. And they ran throughout the whole area, carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, in villages, in cities, or way out in the countryside, they, so wherever he went, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. And they begged him to let their sick at least touch the fringe of his robe. Well, we we learned about that from Robin and Mark in Mark chapter 5. And all who touched him were healed. Here's my second objective. And it's, you know, if if all we've done is had a good Bible study, well, I'm I'm, I'm in favor of that. I, I teach the Bible in part for a living, right? But a good Bible study isn't enough. The second objective here is that we will be what the, we will be the kind of people that are in this summary statement 
Bad ways to know Jesus, good ways to know Jesus, summary statement. Look at what the summary statement. It says, they ran to wherever he was. Now, this is, this is really smart. I mean, I'm at a high level here. Wherever Jesus is, run there. Wherever Jesus was, they ran. If Jesus is here, I'm going to go there. I'm going to rearrange my day, and I'm actually going to put myself out. And believe me, at 62, running takes some effort, okay? But I want to be like those people. It also says that they brought their sick. You see, I want to be in front of Jesus, and I want to run, but it could slow me down if i got to drag a guy on a mat. Sorry, pal, you're on your own. Going to see Jesus, right? But they didn't do that. You see, you want to know who Jesus is? Bring people with you. People who are in need. People that you ain't got a prayer helping. You want to know who Jesus is? Run to where he's at. You want to know who Jesus is? Bring people who need them. And then I even love this. Depends on your translation. They urged him. They implored him. New Living Translation. They begged him. Just let me touch the hem of your garment. Well, maybe they'd heard about what had happened already with, uh, you know, the, the, the woman with the issue of blood. Or, or maybe it was just like, I've just got to get close enough to this guy. There's a place. I mean, there's a place for standing on the promises of God. There is also a place for begging and for being so hungry that we urge Jesus, just let me get close. Just let me get close. Let me get close. Let me tell you something that I know about Jesus. My friend Isaiah taught it to me. And that is that Jesus is not the kind of guy who cries out in the street. Jesus is not the kind of guy that will harm anyone. Jesus is the kind of guy who will not snuff out a smoldering wick and he won't break a bruised reed. Right? But does any of that speak to you of high platform, high energy, come spend an evening with Jesus tickets are thirty nine ninety five. No. We urge, we urge, let me in, let me in, let me in. We run, we bring. Who is Jesus? We can discover it by running after him, by bringing others with us, by begging him. Hunger and thirst and need and desire reveal who is Jesus. I've been trying to follow Jesus since 1970. There's more of Jesus for me to know. There's more of Jesus for me to know. Isn't that amazing? We follow an infinite creator God who has been incarnated into flesh and blood, but when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, it's not just that we'll sing his praises, that there'll be more of him to discover. If you've been following Jesus for four decades, good on you, eh? There's more of him to discover. If you've been following Jesus for 40 days, there's more of him to discover. So that's the message. I, uh, besides the Tim Keller book, I, I brought two books just to give to people. Uh, because this is a really great book. It's Philip Yancey, The Jesus I Never Knew. So is it anybody's birthday today? Like, is today your birthday? Is it your kid's birthday? 
Well, I didn't hear from God, Robin. Here's two copies of the book if you want them. They're up here. I had thought, I said, Lord, how am I going to give this book away? He said, well, it's somebody's birthday there today. Now, I'm hearing from God. High level. Robin, I'm done. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 